And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the phone line with us today is Peter St. Ange, and he's from the Heritage Foundation. Peter, it's an honor to have you on with us today. Thanks for having me, Dan. Now, you're a research fellow in economic policy at Heritage, and you also have a very broad background, um, lived in different countries, you know many languages, and uh, we're delighted to have you on with us today. You recently wrote an article about the supply chain collapse, and uh, I loved the title. It really caught my eye. It says, Blame Government, Not COVID-19. So can you get us started, Peter, and explain some of this? Sure. So supply chains are breaking uh, really nationwide. And what that does is, number one, it drives up prices, right? So you've got a lot of uh, things like meat, for example, is up uh, almost 20% from a year ago. Uh, The other thing it does is that it clears shelves, okay? So you can't get products. So a lot of people are worried about uh, getting toys in time for Christmas. Uh, There are also a lot of shelves nationwide that are clear. Uh, About one out of five products uh, are not available on shelves, and that's historically extremely high. That's hitting some staple products, things like bread, uh, eggs, uh, milk, dairy products. So that's that's worrying people uh, across the board. And, you know, the sort of government's uh, excuse for it uh, is that imports are supposedly surging. Uh, People were sitting at home bored uh, because of COVID, and so they ordered all these things online. When you look at the actual statistics, that's not it. Uh, Yes, imports are up year on year. Uh, They're not up dramatically so. Uh, Something else is happening here to, uh, to break these supply chains, and we dig through and look for the reasons why, it finally breaks down to three things. So one of them is regulations that make it hard to work. Uh, the second is paying people not to work. And then the third is that the really the most important um, shipping infrastructure in our country uh, is run by unions. Yes, that's a big one. Um, wow. I I remember back, uh, what, four years ago when we had a different administration, one of the key things they did was to kill unnecessary regulations, and the economy took off like a rocket. And uh, you mentioned regulations, paying people not to work. That's huge. And it goes against the idea that um, God wants us to work. In fact, the New Testament says if a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. And here we are paying people not to work. And this shipping, um, tell us a little bit more about that. And is there a tie-in to environmentalism on this one? Absolutely. And that's really what they're pushing here. Uh, They have a lot of activists who want a revolution uh, in terms of, you know, environmental mandates, restrictions. The people that's hitting uh, hardest at the moment is truckers. And very specifically, truckers in California are getting slammed. Uh, they've got a law out there. It's called AB5, Assembly Bill 5. And that makes it very, very difficult to hire independent contractors. Now, most truck drivers are independent contractors. They, they basically own their own business. And so AB5 makes it uh, very hard to hire them. It, it, it effectively puts a lot of them out of a job. 
And then on top of that, they've got, again, this is California, so they've got these uh, emissions rules that they're targeting uh, to trucks specifically, saying that trucks are, you know, destroying the world through global warming. And what that's doing is, again, hitting these independents, right? They have to pay out of pocket to upgrade their trucks. And they don't even know if that's going to work because California keeps, keeps talking about mandating electric trucks, which, by the way, don't exist yet. All right, so you're a trucker in California. You could spend 20 grand upgrading your truck, and maybe they'll turn right back around and say, no, no, just kidding. Thanks for spending <laughs> the money, but no, you're still going to have to get rid of it. So a lot of these guys are either exiting the business or they're just moving to other states. So you've got this pipeline of trucks. They go from the port to the border, the border of California, so Arizona, Nevada, and then they transfer the shipment to another trucker because the rest of the country has more trucks. Oh, my. Right, so California is just an absolute storm. The problem is that both of those rules are things that Democrats in uh, Washington want to take nationwide. They got something called the PRO Act. They're trying to slip it into the uh, bills, the big bills they've got going now. Uh, They're trying to take those nationwide. And then also, of course, the emissions, right? They're dreaming up new schemes about what they're going to ban next. And so all of these are hitting truckers especially, but they're really hitting across the board, right? They're all the people involved in supply chains. You got retail, warehouse, you've got a whole bunch of steps there. And all those people are having to put up with these new rules. And sometimes the um, the move towards electric vehicles, while you should be free to choose an electric vehicle, that's fine. Um, the move towards that sometimes is not based in science, because they'll say, well, we're going to save the environment by having an electric vehicle. But they don't follow. Where does the electricity come from? Well, 60% of our electric is generated by fossil fuels. And it's and it's clean, and it does a great job. And another, what is it, 20% or more is generated by nuclear. And the leftists hate both of those technologies. So if we're left to generate power for these electric vehicles based on their worldview, I think our grid would absolutely collapse. I think you're absolutely right. Uh, They want the world to run on unicorns. They've promised their activists that that's all possible, that they should dream big, and they're running into reality. And the rest of us are suffering with empty shelves and high prices because of that. Oh, yeah. Last night I was up on a mountaintop. It was kind of a dangerous journey to service one of our translators, and fortunately my son was able to go with me. And because you really need a team going up there, and it's an extremely rough trail. And um, the four-wheel drive made it up. And I was very thankful that I had a gasoline-powered car. Um, Not that the electrics can't be made robust, but it's just dependable. And I I knew I wasn't going to, by God's grace anyway, I wasn't going to get stranded up there. And, you know, once you get to the top of a transmitter site on a mountain, extremely dark, high winds, you say, eek, this is almost kind of scary up here. And so um, you think about those things, you know, just the practical stuff. And also, um, you know, being in broadcast, I, I visit all these sites, and every single one of them either has a diesel generator or a propane generator, and all of the emergency communications depends on that generator when the power goes out. And so we're not going to get off of this uh, fossil fuel 
anytime soon. We need to we just need to be realists and, and stop dorking around with, like you said, this unicorn mentality. Absolutely. And, you know, a lot of these issues, they're, they're, they're serious. Um, you know, if you're talking about power for a hospital. Oh, my. Uh, where, you know, you've got people in the ICU who can't have their power interrupted. If you're talking about delivering, uh, you know, milk so that parents can actually feed their kids. No, these are serious things. And the left is uh, living in a fantasy world, and they need to be called on it before they uh, cause yeah. a lot more harm. Yeah. Now, your background is very broad, and I think our listeners would find it fascinating to learn a little bit more about you. Um, can you tell us where you've lived in this big world that the Lord owns? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I've spent a lot of time in Latin America. Uh, I grew up uh, partly in West Germany uh, and in Japan. That was way back when it had a West on the front. Uh, And then the past couple of years, I've actually been over in Taiwan uh, teaching uh, business over there. And, you know, a lot of what we dealt with was supply chains. (laughs) Oh, wow. Uh, You know, what? how U.S. supply chains uh, differ. and it's, it's, I mean, it's a fascinating topic, but the thing is, uh, it's really an orchestra. And if you, you know, stick your foot in the orchestra, uh, it's not going to make it better. No. Uh, but, you know, the government mentality is, uh, you know, whatever it is, you want to you wanna interfere. And so yes. in normal times, uh, business kind of, you know, they work around it. It raises costs. It slows down things, but, you know, people can, can survive. Uh, but in times like these, right, when we've got a lot of big changes, um, a lot of movements because of the lockdowns, uh, it's, it's very, very hard for business to, uh, to adjust uh, to the chaos coming out of governments. Yeah, it's true. Um, today we're talking with Peter St. Ange, and he's with the Heritage Foundation. Now, Peter, another human interest point here is that you speak fluent Spanish, French, Japanese, and even some conversational Mandarin. And I'm wondering if you would um, uh, humor me today. Would you be willing to say the phrase, may God bless you, in each of those languages so we could hear them? Okay, let me think here. All right, Dios te bendiga. Dieu vous souhaite. That's not perfect. Uh, if you've got French listeners, they're going to complain. Kamisama o anata o inote krasai. I believe. Ni. I might I might get in trouble for that. The problem is, uh, in Japanese, you use honorifics. And so when you're referencing God, you have to use a very high-level yes. uh, honorific. And that's not usually used in daily conversation. So I might get in trouble for that one. How about the Mandarin? I don't know that Mandarin. My Mandarin's not good enough, unfortunately. Yeah, sure. No, the the write-up about you said it was conversational Mandarin, so that's fine. Yes. Well, um, this is great. It's it's wonderful to have you on. Let's keep talking now about supply chains. Uh, here at the ministry, I kind of saw something coming, and so we invested in a few extra parts and pieces of equipment and that sort of thing because if this keeps going the way I think it's the way I think the Biden administration wants it to go, let me be that bold and say it. Um, 
we're going to be out of parts, we're going to be out of equipment, and we're going to be in deep trouble. And uh, our only option then will be to look to big government to bail us out. Um, so that that was my mentality, and that's why we bought some spare parts ahead of time. Right. I'm not sure that they're trying to cause problems. Um, they want to win elections. They want to be liked. Sure. Uh, but I, I, I do think that they are responding to their boss, and their boss is not necessarily voters, it's activists. Yes. And so they are doing what the activists want them to do, they're doing what will please the activists, and they're hoping that either uh, the rest of us you know, won't get hurt too much so they can continue getting away with it, or they'll try to gaslight us and you know, so we don't notice the pain. Yes. Well, they, by and large, control uh, the media, so they can constantly feed us lies, and, and we will believe them. I'm being a little bit more bolder today than usual, because I, I'm sensing that the bulk of our listeners, at least at this ministry, are totally frustrated with these kind of things that are going on. And today we're talking about the supply chain issue. And, uh, you know, I'm concerned about Taiwan. Now, you've lived there. Um, can you describe Taiwan in terms of its output of products that we use here in America? Yeah, interestingly, so Taiwan in general tends to produce higher-end goods because labor costs are higher. Uh, also because um, a lot of Taiwanese businesses, they're afraid that if they produce in China, then China's going to steal their tech and copy the product. Right. So this is a concern in places like Taiwan, Japan, Korea. They tend to keep the higher-end stuff at home. And then the real low-end stuff they um, produce in China. Mm-hmm. Now, what's interesting in Taiwan at the moment is that they are not, I've been talking to some friends who are still over there, they're not uh, suffering supply chain problems like we are here. Okay, so shelves are not bare. Uh, they're not having shortages of uh, food products uh, in the stores. The only thing that's in short supply is things that they import, have to import from over here. Mm. In other words... <laughs> This is not just, you know, COVID made the world crazy. No, this is very specifically, we have a problem that other countries don't have. That's right. Wow, that's amazing. I, I, I had, hadn't heard that. So, so whatever exports here from America was going over to Taiwan, they're having trouble getting those products from us. So that further cripples us. Right. And, you know, partly that's um, in any supply chain, you tend to have sort of human relationships is what's driving it. Right. So you have people work together for years and years. And generally what will happen is when there's a shortage, people don't want to, you know, stiff their, you know, um, close customer who's been working with them for 30 years. Right. So people will tend to keep uh, their, you know, sort of most most loyal um, companies. They'll keep the orders flowing to them, but, you know, um, foreign countries, for example, uh, will often get shut off. Yes. So that's that's not surprising. That's, that's sort of the pattern uh, that you expect in general, just because supply chains are so human. Right? There's so much human uh, contact and interaction that make these up. And, and that's really, you know, that also sort of goes to how government sees these things. They look at it like a machine, and it's, it's people. It's all made of people. Yes. <laughs> And people who try to figure stuff out, and really, you know, that's why uh, you get out of the way and you let them fix the problems. 
Now, um, before you, you talked a little bit about the truckers and uh, especially the problems that California presents to the truckers. Um, if you were talking to a trucker today and wanted to encourage him or her in some way, would you have any words of advice for them? It's tricky. Um, you know, <laughs> it's, it's easier to tell people to take one for the team, uh, but, you know, there's a certain hypocrisy there. Uh, I, I understand what truckers are going through. They're, you know, uh, they're getting attacked uh, from all sides by government regulations. Uh, you know, I, I sympathize um, why they are, you know, have to do uh, what they're doing. I think really what's got to change here is, you know, you have to remove rules. You have to let people uh, get back to work. Uh, you have to, you know, the handouts, the, 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 the payments to people who are not working, that's not mostly truckers because truckers tend to make a lot more money. Yes. Um, who that's really hitting is people like warehouse workers, retailers. Those are people who, you know, for them, an extra $500 a week, um, you know, they might end up getting paid more than they do at work. So why would you go to work uh, if you can make more money staying at home? So that's really having a bigger impact there. And then that feeds back to the truckers because it means that you don't have people to unload Right. You have a a, um, you don't have warehouse capacity because if the warehouse isn't being emptied, then it's it's full. Right. It's 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 jam packed. You got in L.A. one point two percent warehouse spare capacity. So if you don't have people to unload the warehouse, the warehouse is full. So now the trucker shows up with a full truck. What's he going to do with it? Yeah. So it's really. Yeah, I, I understand where the truckers are. They're they're a critical cog in this. But they have to deal with all of these other things in there, and government just keeps sticking their their hands in and uh, messing things up, and that really comes back to especially truckers. Now, um, has this administration been using the pandemic as an as a sort of an excuse? But uh, really, these other factors are are really what's messing up the supply chain. Then. I think that is exactly what they're doing. They've been doing that for a year and a half. Uh, anything they screw up, they say, it's a pandemic. What are you going to do? Yes. Uh, and, it, you know, first off, it's not the pandemic. It's the lockdown. Yes. Okay? There are countries in this world that did not lock down Sweden, and they don't have these kinds of problems. They had a very small uptick in unemployment, and that was mostly because the countries they export to yeah. closed down, you know, places like Germany. Yes. So... So, right, that's kind of the first point is, you know, we should probably stop calling this the pandemic. We should call it the lockdowns yep. uh, to be more specific. But even there, uh, you know, other countries went through similar experiences like Europe, and they're not suffering as much as we are here. So there are extra factors. Probably the only country that major country really comes close is Britain. Mm-hmm. Britain is having similar problems to us. They're also having, you know, energy is uh, out of control, energy prices. Uh, there's there's a lot going on there. Uh, so, you know, really, this is not a worldwide phenomenon, which, you know, if it were lockdowns, then it would be. No, this is unique. We've got special problems there. And particularly because our problems, uh, so many of the supply chain problems are coming out of California, and California does not have very pro-business regulations. You know, we can see specifically what the issues are. Truckers chat, you know, about uh, what the problems are and, and what they think is holding things up. 
truckers know what the issues are. The issues are California regulations, their unions not working as hard as they could. And yeah, they, you've, you know, paying people to stay home means you don't have enough people up and down the chain. You know, there were people that um, back a few years ago were really offended at some of the tweets from Donald Trump. But um, how would he have handled this um, supply chain mess up? How would he have handled uh, the situation on the ground? Oh, it was a huge difference. Absolutely night and day. Uh, Trump came from business background. You know, early on in the lockdowns, uh, you know, there were a lot of disruptions, a lot of problems back then. And he sat down with everybody and the companies that actually solve problems, not the regulators who dream up new problems. <laughs> right, so he actually sat down with the people on the ground who know what they're doing, who know how to solve things. And he asked them, what do you need? <laughs> uh, you know, where are we in the way? Uh, what do you need us to do? And we're going to do it. Yes. And there were a number of anti-Trump executives, all right, people who did not like him, you know, on a personal level or on a political level. Sure. There were a number of people who said that they were, at just, they, they were just blown over. They'd never had that kind of can-do attitude right. out of the White House to, number one, ask, actually ask him what the problem is, not activists, and number two, to fix it. Yeah. Immediately. You know, he would say, why is it going to take six months? Why doesn't it take six minutes? Let's do it. Let's go, guys. So really, I mean, just absolutely night and day. Uh, these guys here, they're making excuses. They got scapegoats. Uh, Biden's been blaming the people trying to fix the problem. Right. So he's going after uh, freight forwarders and uh, meat companies, meat packers. He's been going after them and saying, nah, you guys are price gouging. No, no. <laughs> Shortages <laughs> cause the price to spike. Yeah. Uh, he, he doesn't understand economics and just his, his worldview is that if anything goes wrong, you attack, you know, you never ever attack government. So who's left? The rest of them. Yeah. Now, I've heard uh, from your article, actually, where uh, Home Depot and Target, you, you said, resorted to chartering their own ships. Now, that's fascinating. How did that work out for them? We don't know yet. Uh, the problem is that ships are only part of it. Yes. Uh, the inland supply chains, uh, everything is backed up. So you've got 10, 20-day waits at the railheads. Truckers are in short supply all across the country, uh, you know, either because, you know, they've been paid not to work or the regulations or, you know, the other parts of it, like the warehouse workers are not there. So at any rate, you've got this um, going uh, all across the country, really. It's concentrated in california but it is across the country yeah yeah well today we're talking with peter st Ange, and um any last words of uh, advice for let's suppose we have a political leader listening today and maybe he or she can make a difference uh what kind of actions would you encourage them to take I think the biggest is sit down with the people who are trying to fix this. There's a lot of frustration uh, among companies in the supply chains, warehouses, truckers. There's a lot of frustration, and a lot of those people know exactly what the problems are. Sit down with them and ask them what they need and then get it done. This should not be political. This is about, you know, this is Christmas. This is potentially putting food on the table. This is... Uh, yeah. It's a serious thing, and yeah, they really need to step up and take this past the political uh, 
bickering. And how about any advice for families? You know, we're just small people, as it were. Anything we should be doing different to protect our families? Uh, if there's something you really need, if you've got small kids in the house, it's probably worthwhile to uh, stockpile. Uh, you know, I mean, we're, we're <laughs> I don't want to, you know, sound a panicky note. No. But uh, we do have small children in our house, and we do stockpile things uh, that are important. Right. So uh, it can never hurt. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of things that happened over the past year and a half that a lot of us thought was impossible. Uh, so it's it's worth keeping an open mind about things like that. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. And um, to our listeners, um, Peter agreed to a longer interview. He thought it was just going to be 10 minutes, but uh, the, it was such an interesting interview. I'm glad, Peter, that we extended it. And if somebody wants to get in touch with you or read more of your writings, where can they go? Uh, visit the uh, Heritage website, heritage.org, and I'm also active on Twitter, uh, at Prof. St. Ange. Very good. Well, thank you so much, uh, Peter St. Ange. It's been an honor, and we pray that the Lord will bless you and keep you in His care. Thank you, Dan. I'm looking forward to next time. And dear listener, please join us next week for another edition of A Plain Answer.